I'm Alex Semenzato, and this is the Simo Podcast. This episode is presented by Elo, the Creators Network. Elo is a global community of artists dedicated to creative excellence, built by artists for artists. If you're a creator and you want to create a profile and collaborate with your peers, or you just love art and creativity and you want to check out some of the incredible works from all over the world, you can now by heading to elo.co. What's up, everyone? How are you? I hope you're having an awesome day and an even better week, whatever you've been up to. In this week's episode, I speak with Gail Galley, who is the co-founder at Project Everyone. They drive actionable change supporting the sustainable development goals with the United Nations. Gail Galley is a business leader with a strong sense of social purpose. Her background is in marketing and advertising, and she's worked for both advertisers and agencies in the public and private sectors. Gail started her career working for ad agencies, helping to create campaigns for a variety of clients, including P&G, the Ministry of Sound, and the Labour Party. She then took a role in marketing at the BBC, and over the next eight years, she was responsible for the strategy and delivery of many major projects, including the launches of CBBs and BBC Three. On leaving the BBC, Gail co-founded the strategic communications consultancy, Gailey Godfrey, delivering corporate campaigns and brand strategy to a mixture of commercial and philanthropic clients, including Sony Music, the Camden Roundhouse, and the Millennium Cities Initiative. During this period, Gail also worked as a freelance consultant for Comic Relief. In 2010, Gail was appointed CEO of the ad agency Fallon, part of Publicis Group, delivering campaigns for clients including Cadbury, Eurostar, and Skoda. In her spare time, Gail co-founded the Outdoor Swimming Society and is founder board member of the Marketing Academy and the Dot 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 Business Network. This is a really interesting episode where we talk to Gail all about Project Everyone, what it means to be championing the Sustainable Development Goals for the United Nations, and some of the best campaigns to date, and why creativity is so important. Thanks for listening, and see you next week. Hi Gail, how are you? I'm alright, thanks. Thanks for having me. It's fantastic to have you on. I'm really looking forward to this discussion. Hello. As always, we love to start with some icebreakers. Are you ready? I am ready for that, yeah. <laughs> okay. Favorite color? Orange. Coffee or tea? Coffee. If you could bring back any fashion trend, what would it be? <laughs> I don't I just don't think uh flared jeans went away. No, fantastic. <laughs> um, what's been your favorite item that you've bought this year so far? Or it could be last year. Um, I have heavily invested in Pangaea. I have also be- received a lot of gifts from them because I work with them. But they're, they're a material science-driven label, so you can feel good about buying them because they're totally biodegradable and natural. But when I wear them, they are just heaven. So like they're like sweatpants, baggies, amazing. Amazing. I'd definitely check them out. My brother is also, he, like, he gets lots of... Um material from charity shops and like crates to close out them so he'll he'll like that as well well that's awesome see i'm just not clever enough to do that so therefore what i buy has to be perfect and um put planet positive as it were and these guys have nailed it oh fantastic how do you like your eggs 
Scrambled. What is your most used emoji? <laughs> the one with the jazz hands. Ta-da! I love it. <laughs> yeah. And lastly, a quick fun fact about you. Um, I really, really enjoy musicals. Amazing. Have you ever been in a musical yourself? Yes. Oh, cool. Pantomime? No, constant pantomime. Uh-huh. I'm quite funny. <laughs> like I said, musicals, not rubbish. <laughs> Amazing. I saw I thought Hamilton was fantastic, even if it was on Disney Plus, like the it was just incredible. Oh, I know. I got into that quite late. Just one of my children um played it on repeat last summer when we were driving around Wales. And it, yes, instantly obsessed. Awesome. Cool. Well, let's get down to business. Um as I mentioned, you know, you've done lots of amazing things in your career to date, um, you know, obviously leading Project Everyone now, but would love for you to describe yourself and what you do. So I think I'm a creative um, campaign leader in the sense that um, my my work is to try and use the Sustainable Development Goals, which were the UN's published uh, 17 goals signed by every country, to, to use those goals as a framework by which we can make the world a better place. Now, there's many people advancing that in many, many important ways from, from you know, politics and business. The, the superpower that I think we have at Project Everyone and that I lead for is, is creativity, finding the change. You know, what is it that we could do differently that might speed up the process? Because the, these goals, uh, they came in in 2015. We want them achieved by 2030. And in me- many of them, particularly the climate goals, Arguably, we don't really have more than another decade to to seriously change the way we're doing things. Wow. Big undertaking then. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Big. <laughs> yeah. So let's rewind slightly. Um, tell us a bit more about your journey, um, your career journey to date um, and kind of how you've got to where you're at now. Well, I I just grew up wanting to show off, you know, ref, reference the musicals. Um, and when I went, so I don't, I don't have any kind of worthy, oh, when I was eight, you know, I was a little Greta Thunberg, because I, I, I wasn't. I was just desperately always trying to sing and dance and act my way through life. Um, I went to university, um, spent all of the money and needed a job like, when I left. And because I'm in those days, there were a few industries used to recruit you directly from you. I went to Oxford and there were a few industries used to come up and sort of shop for people. Um, but the only three that were doing it when I graduated were um, the finance industry, which is, was not for me, the legal industry, which is not for me, because I hadn't done law, and the advertising industry. And I thought, well, that is quite close to showing off. Um, so I went through the kind of whole milk round, uh, they call it, process and got a couple of jobs and picked one. And so started working advertising, which I really enjoyed. I loved um, the madness of it. You know, anyone who's worked in or around the ad industry knows that it's, I don't know what it is. I think it's because they are held in this sort of playful state in order to be able to come up with different ways of, of addressing client uh, briefs and issues. Uh, and it, so it was a really fun way to learn the ropes of, of basic project management, basic people management um, and a bit of craft. Um, so I did that for about five years um, ended up r- running the advertising for the election campaign in 1997 for, for to the Tony Blair campaign. And, and that gave me a real taste for the media and, and how like newspapers worked and radio worked and uh, news in general. So then I, I did a hop over to Radio One by writing actually an old fashioned letter to the controller and saying, I, I really love music. I, I, I love the BBC and, and media generally. So anything going, I would have made tea. I, I would have done anything. Um, and then in a really good uh, twist of fate, 
the head of marketing had just been promoted to a, to a bigger portfolio. And they just looked at my CV not very closely and thought, oh, well, she's done sort of marketing, which I hadn't <laughs> done advertising. But um, I, I got that got in there and, and then I stayed because that was the sort of the best job in the world. So I stayed there for about 10 years and kept adding to the portfolio. So I was doing by the end, I was doing all of all of youth for the BBC. So anything that had a younger audience and also news and um, God, everything, sports, digital, as it was called then. And so I had a really great 10 years at the BBC and learned so much about public service. Then briefly went back to the advertising industry as, as a CEO. I mean, that was a bit of a weird turn, to be honest. It was just offered me because the the agency that, um, that I had used all the time at the BBC called Fallon, were looking for a CEO and, and the founder of it had, had thought that I might be a good idea. I definitely wasn't a good idea. I mean, it was really fun. Um, but I think deep down, I don't care enough about money to run an agency. I mean, I don't care about making it. You know, I care about people. I care about the ideas. So I wasn't the best uh, client, particular best CEO, particularly when like there was a downturn in, I think it was 2012, there was a financial kind of another one of those financial shocks. And, um, business started sort of going down and I, I just couldn't be asked you know I just thought oh, well I'm gonna get out now so I did that got out and then happily kind of came into the world of Richard Curtis who at the time um, was talking to the United Nations about these new goals and about how they it would be really great if they could be like famous from the start and they could be accessible by everybody and they could be colorful basically he had this vision uh, that if they could be a brand then they would travel further and faster and we'd have more chance of getting them achieved. So the UN uh, took this idea, of course you would, they're great, um, and said to him, how are you going to do that? And that's when I met him and my other great friend and now co-founder, Kate Garvey, um, and we set up Project Everyone, which which we launched the goals and then it, it sort of stuck. So we've been doing that ever since. Wow, well, fantastic. And can kind of completely see the kind of different experiences, how they've all kind of amalgamated to ultimately doing what you're doing now so that, you know, lends itself quite well, you know, having, doing kind of the advertising comms bit, understanding public service, and then now for setting up Project Everyone. So did you exactly. find it? And one of those great things about um, when you look back and the dots only make sense in retrospect, but yes, it, does, <laughs> it was definitely, none of it was planned as a sequence, but it does make sense when you look back on it from where I am now. And was that, you kind of knew Richard Curtis from, doing comic relief with the beast. No, I didn't know him at all. I had worked on um, sport relief, actually. I'd, I'd done some positioning work with sport relief. But um, my friend yeah, my friend and co-founder Kate knew him because she had worked with him on um, that whole drop the debt and um, make poverty history campaign. So she had, I mean, it was very random. I think she bumped into his girlfriend, Emma Freud, in a foyer at Google, I think. And Emma had said, oh, Kate, I'm glad you're here. Richard needs you. And then Kate had spoken to Richard and he'd said what he was doing. And she said, oh, well, actually, me and Gail have just been talking about we want to do something good for the world. Let's have lunch. One of those really nice, you know, I so remember. Now I'm a bit less starstruck about him, obviously, because I've worked with him for six years. But at the time, it was that was a really kind of like, oh, I've got to lunch with Richard Curtis. We've got to go to the Ivy because that's what yeah. <laughs> Um, it was really um, fun, a meeting, and it, and it went well. So we started. So we all piled it was really heady, lovely startup vibes of being in his film writing office, the three of us, plus a couple of people that he was already like working with in his uh, writing work. And 
just all hands to the till really for for that first 12 month scramble to get the goals out there and so project everyone was a real scrappy kind of campaign unit that has become like a decent size you know a 30 size there's about 30 of us um you know we're a proper company now but for for the first couple of years it just felt like a real kind of fun startup project awesome and so for those in the audience that don't know like what are the sustainable development goals and how did you define them or come up with them well we definitely we didn't that would be uh overclaim that we didn't come up with the goals so the okay. un has a process to negotiate these sort of massive roadmaps and they'd done a set in 2000 called the millennium development goals and there were eight of those and their overall aim was that they would halve the number of people on the planet living in extreme poverty and and the way they would do that were these eight sort of targets so they were going to you know keeping children in school for longer um, helping women not die in childbirth making sure people had enough to eat and they so they ran for the first 15 years of this of this uh, century and um they were quite uh, i wouldn't say they were private but they weren't made to be famous you know if you worked at oxfam if you worked in one of the un agencies like unicef you would have known about them but they weren't particularly front-facing as it were and then, and also critical difference to the new ones is they didn't include anything about the planet, um, which is amazing looking back. But even as late as 2000, that was not top of the agenda that there's a, there's a planetary emergency. So come 2015, more goals were added to, um, to address things like life below water, the ocean goal, life on land, the nature goal, um, climate action and clean energy. Um, and also the meta aim became to eradicate extreme poverty because the great, you know, why would we made a little film called No Point Going Halfway, which if you Google that and watch, it just makes the point like we, we the Millennium Goals worked. Like we, we did bring so many of those targets that of the number of people who are living uh, below the poverty line really dropped. Um, so the thought was, well, why would you stop there? Like, let's the world has enough money. The world has enough resources. Let's balance it out and let's just end poverty once and for all. And let's address climate change once and for all. So that is the point of the goals. Um, and we, what we did is we took the terrible name, the Sustainable Development Goals, which A, it has a terrible shortened version of SDG, which if you're English speaking, just sounds like something else that is bad. And if you're anywhere else in the world, you could just even say it. I mean, how, what does that even mean? So we gave it a different, the global goals, we called them. So that was us. And we also renamed each goal so that it was a really positive, upbeat, no poverty, you know, zero hunger, um, quality education and gender equality rather than just a policy statement. And then we designed an icon for each one and, and we put them into a grid, worked with a, a very, very talented designer in Sweden uh, called Jakob Trollback, who um, took the brief to make them look the way they look. Um, and then we set about, yeah, we set about launching them all over the world. Fantastic. Well, yeah. think, um, I was going to say, because you said like, you know, traditionally, you know, campaigning for charities and stuff, you know, they had traditional methods, you know, whether it was print or, or or whatever. But now I think technology has democratized so many things and to have access to, you know, not like everyone around the world by digital means, right? So have you have did you notice that shift? Um and, and well, have we, you embraced totally, that? well we absolutely rode that shift. So we we decided to it was really bold. Everything was incredibly audacious and, and Richard is a, a really, really um inspiring person to to be led by in that sense because he he thinks in a really open fashion so we were thinking okay what how can we we'd have no money we'd have a bank account you know we were self-funded the un didn't pay for us 
And yet we had this ambition to get these goals all over the world. So we made it even more ridiculous. We said we made it a race. We said, right, let's try and get to seven billion people, which at the time was how many people were on the planet. Let's try and get to seven billion people in seven days with the news of these goals. And it was kind of a tactic because it made people lean in and help you. You know, if you'd gone to people and just said, I've got to launch, you know, I'm trying to reach lots of people. People would have wished as well, I think. But we would go to these big people in our networks. You know, we'd go to Vodafone or we'd go to, you know, um, Google and we'd say, we're trying to reach 7 billion people in seven days. Will you help? And of course, that's fun. People, so people are like, yeah, how are you going to do that? Yeah. And absolutely, the, the biggest, there are a couple of kind of really big um, tech-driven um, wins that we got early doors that meant we got, close. we actually ended up reaching 3.2 billion people, we think, in seven oh, wow. days. Which isn't bad for a scrappy startup, Fantastic, yeah. um, but um, one of you know a couple of really big deals there were. One was working with the mobile uh, trade body, the GSMA, who then encouraged many of their members in <clears throat> different countries to send a single text that week. So if you were O2, you would have got a text saying, "Hey, good news! The SDG, the global goals have been launched uh, today. Click here to find out more." And we think we, I think they saw they even just that medium sent like close to a billion texts. So that was like huge. Another huge win was that Jimmy Wales, the founder of Wikipedia, happens to be married to Kate, my co-founder, helpful. Um, and Wikipedia got involved and said, yeah, we'll translate the goals into the non-UN languages. So there were wiki takeovers, you know, in loads of different countries. So again, yeah, using the power of technology. Um, we've subsequently worked several, I mean, we work all the time with Google. They're a fantastic supporter of the goals. And we have occasionally had like homepage boosts from them. And you just see the numbers sort of fly. Um, and, and so it went. So And that, the other biggest partnership actually was through sport, because that is what the sort of single greatest, we think, global denominator around the world. And through one of our launch sponsors, so Standard Chartered were rather visionary and supported the launch. And they gave us loads of money to do what we were doing. But they also said, what else can we do? And they were sponsoring Liverpool Football Club at the time. And so we ended up getting the goal wheel, which is the sort of single logo for the goals, on the shirts of the Liverpool players when they played two games at the start and end of that week of launch. And of course, the TV coverage, the right, you know, that just gets sent around the world. So we think those two matches also between them got another billion of, of people watching. They did the perimeter advertising boards with goals. You know, the mascot who walked out had a goal on his shirt. It was amazing. So it was, it was, yeah, but real, the real lesson for me was just, if you don't ask, you don't get, but give it a go. So, we, you know, we'd have a very simple, hello, we're, we're calling on behalf of the United Nations, Nations and Richard Curtis. Do you think you might help us um, make more? And it was, it worked for a while. It was really good. <laughs> and so there's quite, there's, there's obviously 17 of these goals. I mean, is it, is there a focus on specific ones at any given time? Or is it just all at, all, all at once? So it is an awful number, isn't it? Um, really awkward. And we, we, I think Richard, who was, he's an SDG advocate. So he is, he is in the sort of thick of the UN negotiations when they were being finalised. Um, and we were really hopeful that it would end up being 15 because then you could have 15 goals in 2015, but we didn't win that battle. Um, and no, it's not that one is more important than the other. We have definitely uh, lent in on certain goals in our campaign cycles. Yeah. So we did a very um, successful campaign in 2016 uh, based around goal five. Um, and we did a creative asset called What I Really, Really Want. And we remade the Spice Girls video 
um, but brought it up to date with contemporary performers uh, all around the world. And the, and Victoria Beckham got behind that. And, and so that got like 180 million views, I think, the week it was put on her Facebook. So that, you know, that kind of stuff was, was great. And we've been working very hard into the climate goals at the moment, and we will continue to do that in the run-up to COP. But really the, the goal of the goals is to, um, to do three things, to eradicate extreme poverty from the planet, um, reverse the, the effects of climate change, and reduce inequalities all over the world. So they all add up to that. You can put any goal in the middle and say, well, if we solve gender equality, we would move all the other goals forward. And then you could put education in the middle and say, well, if we did education, we'd move everything else forward. And that's, that's I think, the beauty of the system is that they all work together. It's not an either or. You don't have to choose, like, well, I really fight for hunger and therefore I'm not going to think about the ocean. They're all interconnected. Absolutely. And... You know, there's many charities out there and, and, and you know, it's important to, to kind of cut through and obviously champion all of them. Obviously, they're all uh, working together to ultimately deliver on, on on kind of making the world a better place. But in terms of really, you know, especially for this new generation, you know, you mentioned how important creativity is to um, celebrate, you know, not only the goals, but kind of how we can come together. And, and obviously, creativity is, is universal. You know, there's no language barrier with it. So how have you seen creativity being important in terms of the work that you're doing so i think this creativity is is there's two ways to use that word isn't there there's there's creative in terms of the the art you know the practice of it whether you're a designer or a musician or a dancer or that you know that that's creative but then there's also creative thinking and you know i think that the that broader definition of applying creative thinking to any given problem is is where we are now with the world you know these these problems are are deep and we need creative thinking in technology. We need creative thinking in uh, negotiations. Um, so I think that is what the goals bring to the whole scene. You know, how can we uh, use our, the most creative way of thinking to address some of these age old issues? I think that the creative arts, so the, the other definition, have been incredibly helpful because they can inspire people and they can move people. I, I don't remember who I heard say it recently, but somebody said uh, words can make people believe something, but art can make you feel it. And I think when we're trying to apply new ways of um, behaving, new ways of consuming, you know, new economic system, because the, the one that we've got does not uh, work with the planet and therefore our survival. We need people to feel differently to get them over the hill of, oh, but I've always done this. You know, we need, we really need the arts. We really need cool design and music and performance to make us all feel like there is a better way over there. And it's worth me changing what I've always done. You know, people are, human beings are, annoyingly lazy and habitual aren't they and just because we should do something or we know that we should do something doesn't mean we do it whereas you put creativity into that mix and you you see something or you're part of something that is a creative experience then that might just make you think and and believe and feel differently so i think that at, at heart doesn't matter what the subject is whether you're fighting for hunger gender ocean climate the role of the arts in general to move you to be uh, different and to to accept change is absolutely and, and to even see change. You know, art can be just so visionary. I always think of Banksy's stuff um, and how just in simple, simple cartoon like graphic can make you see see something completely differently. So yeah. I think that is the role they play. Yeah, and I think it's interesting as well. You know, I, I don't know whether or not it's because of the 
the evolution of technology as we just talked about but um you know there were kind of you had the charities and then you had the brands and then some brands were were doing good but i think really now you're starting to see like huge you know quite popular brands especially you know inspiring young people that have these social change programs now kind of part of their overall business and strategy in terms of what they're doing like adidas you know recycling ocean plastic and um you know even kind of a lot of the the dni programs that are now you know being put into place but it's it's interesting that it's taken quite a while now for that to become the norm and ultimately you know uh, if you're like a young person whether they're a footballer or a rapper or you know a lot of them associated with some of these big n- notorious brands so it's, it's great now to see that kind of be all inclusive as kind of part of you know everyone trying to make the world a better place it is really good and i agree with you there's been a real um escalation I, you know you look back and you think why weren't they always doing that but you know there we are we are where we are i i love it i think that um business particularly has got the power possibly the ultimate power to change you know the world we live in for the better um we all depend on it for jobs we all depend on it for energy for stuff we consume um we depend on it for technology we depend on it for um sustainable like use of the planetary resources and the fact that it's almost a table stake now that a business has to have, you know, not just a decent CSR program, it has to have a decent story to tell top to bottom. And I think to your previous question, technology has a, a lot, digital media has a lot to play, uh, a big role to play in that now because it's not okay anymore. There's nowhere to hide. You know, there's I know there's a lot being made about millennials and their demands and what have you. But it doesn't matter what age you are. If you want to find out how decent a story are Nike actually telling or Adidas actually telling, it's all out there. It's all on the internet. It's all peer reviewed. And if somebody's thinks, if a company thinks they can bury a sort of dark practice or over in a corner somewhere, they're wrong. You know, they're outed before you know it. So I feel like that that there's obviously a lot of dark uh, effects of social media that we're dealing with at the same time. But the positive side, I think, is that it's it's galvanized this whole kind of world to show that businesses have to be good. They can't even do good. They have to be good. <laughs> you know, you have to top to bottom because you'd be exposed if you're not. Absolutely. And that's great. You know, and, and I have, I'm a huge fan of business. I've, I've worked in and around the private sector for most of my life. And I, I see fantastic change. I see brilliant intention. And I see a real embrace of partnerships and collaborations that you know, are just speeding up, you know, that that's, there's only one direction of travel here and it's really positive. Absolutely. Is there, could you describe, um, I don't know, one or two kind of hi- highlight campaigns that you've worked on with Project Everyone that were, were pretty, really pretty cool? In terms of business collaborations? Yeah. Or just creative full stop? Both, <laughs> either or. So, I, well, I think this, with the, with the gender one I mentioned was was uh, a great start. So when we remade What I Really, Really Want, that was a collaboration between us and UNICEF, actually. And, and it was looking at what do, what do we want really want for, for women and girls now? You know, because what I really, really want was all kind of quite sort of fun and shallow, wasn't it? But uh, I mean, great, but it was just fun. Whereas this, we were using it to call for what I really, really want is for girls to be in school. And what I really, really want is, you know, young girls not to be married against their will um and so we did a follow-up with that one which we sort of hardened it up and it was called freedom and it was a, a collaboration with the gates foundation and google and it uh, took a beyonce track that just showed these really great same choreographer and, and director as um as what i really really want and it just showed um really i really encourage people to go watch it on our youtube channel it's just powerful like young like literally eight-year-olds from all over the world but giving it some to a beyonce tr- track and 
I just remember, you know, I've seen loads of rough cuts in my life. I've made lots of shorts. And there's always a moment when you get the rough cut. And it's usually disappointing, let's be honest, because it's not been graded and it's, you know, blah, blah, blah. It's the first edit. But I just remember that I was the first person in the team to, I think I was working late and I got that edit through. And I think the rest of the team might have been in America with the Gates Foundation. And just watching it and thinking like, oh my God, that is one of the most exciting things I've ever seen. <laughs> um, and so that that was a moment. And then quite recently, we've just um, done a collaboration with the train spotting kind of crew. So we uh, we got permission from uh, Iggy Pop and from the David Bowie estate to reuse the uh, introduction of train spotting, you know, choose life. And and also uh, Evan Welsh said it was okay. And we got Kelly McDonald, who's in the original film, to do the voiceover. And we, we and then we got fabulously talented director Adam Smith, who works with the Chemical Brothers on all their visuals, um, to remake that uh, with a client with a nature, you know, a planet positive message, which is let's choose, you know, lagoons, baboons. My great friend Mike Benson wrote the poem. And it just that came together like with an explosion of energy in mid pandemic. You know, that was all made during the, uh, during a kind of lockdown conditions um, and just got out there to remind people that there is still a climate problem. And but there are solutions out there. So we should we all want to choose life. Right. We, we don't want to choose end of species, end of planet. So that it feels really good to be able to it's like draw together creative strings like that and put them to a good use, even in these very weird, restricted times. There's such an energy out there to do it, you know, and, I, and so I think, look, we're in this for a while, aren't we? So our, our the, the project at Everyone energy of doing that sort of stuff will will only increase, I think, this year. And do you think, um, you know, obviously the pandemic has, has been a terrible time, but it, I feel it's almost kind of magnified the human connection and, and the importance of community and the importance of collaboration. And I think perhaps, you know, it makes people think actually the world's not a big place and it's quite small and so hopefully that will you know really this kind of it'd be interesting you know people say the new normal but I think it'd be interesting to see kind of what how the tide will change and perhaps there's more I don't know focus and goodwill and people wanting so to much I mean I really really I feel that and I really hope that that is a universal truth now I, for me the revelation to everybody that there is only one planet there is only one system and when as an only one natural system and when the natural system backfires which you know this pandemic is it's a it's a fuck up right <laughs> this is because we've killed too many animals so that so that the pandemic so that the virus has gone into humans this sort of thing should never have come to the human race if, if we hadn't been so dominant we didn't like it you know it's 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 not good and it is not discriminating it gets everyone and the other coupled with this sense of ambition that when we really need to act we do so I, I know I used to use this phrase a lot last year but oh turns out we can after all you know like who just said you could <laughs> the airline industry oh turns out you can you know yeah. who just thought you could just flood the system with you know furlough payments so that people didn't go under because the government would never have agreed to that oh turns out you absolutely can do that and seems to be okay to borrow the money <laughs> and you know so I feel like that that to the two coming together, the recognition we are one system, no one's better than anyone else, no one's safer than anyone else, doesn't matter where you live or how much money you've got, we are all humans on the planet together in the same boat, as it were. And then this ambition of it turns out we can act big and act fast, I think gives us a fantastically dynamic energy to the goals for this year if we can keep it going. You know, my biggest fear is that the minute we can, we're all off on easy jet 
back to Benidorm, binning plastic into the ocean. I don't think that will happen. I really don't think that will happen. And again, my I spend a lot of time connecting with business people and activists and campaigners all over the world and that everyone is in this renewed energy space saying come on we we can do this the momentum is you know paradoxically going in the right direction for positive change so let's make it happen are, are we making it harder for ourselves because you know the years and years and years campaigning charity and poverty you know you hear stats like if only five percent of the billionaires in the world just donated all the money they could end poverty and things like that so is it is it now about time that there's this kind of time limit to 2030? We're starting to see governments and people kind of really get on board with like ending, you know, having electric cars and all this kind of stuff. But especially with the poverty um, element, like surely it's not that difficult, or is it? <laughs> well, no, I think it is. Absolutely, there's enough money in the world. It's crazy. There's but, enough money offshore. To you know, yeah. there's enough money being held in offshore kind of you know vaults. That can't be brought back and spent because people would spend it would cost so much to bring it back in terms of tax, people just leave it there. If all the governments got together and just said about all those offshore havens, okay, let's do a deal, let's split it down the middle, let's give the rich people half of it back and let's spend the rest on solving all the problems, we'd be fine. Unfortunately, it, it doesn't seem to be that simple because if that were possible, it would be done. Um, I do think there's a raising, uh, there's a ever-raised consciousness about uh the, the outrage of inequality, not in a moral sense, I don't think people who are, have all, you know, they're literally the top 1.11% who've got all the cash. I don't think they've had any kind of moral reckoning. I just think they've realised that they didn't like the pandemic either. Like, I, you know, it doesn't matter how much money you had. If you got COVID in a bad way, you're going to be gone. And your border was shut and your private jet was granted. Like, so it's not fun. And if you can, if you equate gross inequality with, um, pandemics which arguably also is a very easy line to draw because in areas that don't have enough healthcare, the virus is going to spread faster like like ebola did in africa you know the reason that spread so fast was because um those regions affected had like one hospital per hundred thousand people it's actually very manageable if you have proper health systems in place and none of us like that kind of outbreak because that's really frightening so i feel like even at those top levels of of wealth uh, owners and policymakers. There's a, there's a realisation that the system doesn't work and we all want to live on a better world. So, yeah, I think it's going to happen. I don't think anyone's going to like dramatically, sadly say, oh, you know, all that. Was it like the stat last year? There's a great stat that Oxfam give out every year that tells you how much of the world's wealth is in how few hands. And I think last year it was something like 90% is in the hands of 10 men. I don't think we're going to see that like all those 10 and then the thousand below them are just going to go, yeah, yeah, fuck it, have all the money back. <laughs> it gets uh, annoying, but I don't think that's going to happen. But I do think there's a, there are changes, a change is going to come as the song goes. And I think because I think people, it's in everyone's interest to get the world more balanced. Because, mm. you know, the, the we've got lucky in a way that hopefully we'll, as a species will come through the pandemic. The next one you might not. So, you know, I I, I, I remain hopeful that, this has affected everyone's there's a shift of consciousness has gone on but back to the role of creativity the role and i'm involved in several projects are doing exactly this we need to now harness this feeling that mm, yeah i definitely have shifted over here a bit and then lob the best possible emotionally moving effective creativity at that a situation to make it stick mm. 
you know, so we need stories, we need films, we need heroes of, you know, of, of showing how uh, this, yes, it is much better that way. Let's let's all go towards that promised land and not slip back to where we were, even though it felt comfortable at the time. It's not going to stay comfortable. So let's let's all go that way. Mm. But like Greta with climate, you know, she, she got people on the move. And I think this this issue we're talking about now, this sort of global consciousness shift it, it, to a place where equality is seen as better, you know, more a greater sense of equality is better for everybody we need the arts and creative storytellers to to really write that back at us so we go yeah yeah yeah. i did i thought that was good and it is good and i'm going to stick with that absolutely at the moment how do you measure success what are the metrics and um, for uh, for the goals so this i guess there's twofold the goals themselves have got very um clear and stringent uh, targets indicators and that they're monitored annually and then every four years there's a big reckoning of progress and that's you know that's not gone well in the pandemic because so many of the um so many of the uh, progress indicators have, have slipped back understandably perhaps um but we you know the work we do is uh measurable in other ways some of them intangible which is uh challenging if you got too hung up on it but we feel like we are in the wheels of an ecosystem that is growing, you know. So if you look at how many companies are using the goals as their reporting mechanic, that's we feel is a success because we we drive that very hard. Um, we have social channels that you know are up to half a million plus. That's a thing. And then when we make one of our films that we push out, we don't just look at how many eyeballs did it get because that's quite blunt. We look at which eyeballs, where was it shared, and and sort of try and glean effect that way. But to be honest, it's been hard. The scrappy startup in us is only really realizing the power of metrics. And so as, as we speak, we have just kicked off quite a, a, a stringent and robust uh, measurement and evaluation project that will give us a better framework. But we also run, we're happy, we're happy in the intuition space as well. We can feel it when a campaign that we've done is, is gathering and pushing the zeitgeist forward. Um, and we're good with that. Creativity is not a science. And are, I mean, these films, is a clear call to action? Is it about raising money or is it something bigger? Oh, we never raise money. No, we're, we are totally self-funded, but we, we find sponsors and funders behind the scenes. So we never directly raise money ourselves. What we do do is um, raise awareness and then drive action journeys to the right, right place. So what I really, really wanted freedom would have driven people to take action with a few you know, women and girls uh, organisations or a UN agency. Right. Um, sometimes we drive action. So, so we've done some World Ocean Day stuff that shows how what you do affects the ocean. We did a campaign called Factivism last year um, where it was like, here's, here's 10 key goals. Here's five things you need to know about them. And here's five things you could do about them if you wanted to. So, you know, we give people action tools. Um, we don't we don't raise money. There are other people uh, who, are, who are more kind of skilled and practiced at raising money from the public. And that, that's just not a territory that we're in. And how do you stay focused on moving forward and making progress? Well, again, I think it's the sort of creativity of it all, isn't it? I mean, it's hard in a pandemic. We, you know, we're such a human team and we, we get a lot of from each other. And, and as does any creative operation, you know, the, the bumping into the brainstorms, all that's been challenged. But I think we're so mission driven. You know, the goals are so clear they're so interesting and this you know you could, at any given point you could be working on a number of different issues and different territories different partners so i think that boredom is not a problem in project everyone and um mission is not as as i say wholly focused and ambition is not either and i think you know success breeds success so we'll watch 
one part of the team have a really good hit and that'll like st- make everyone happy and inspire to like do another great thing with theirs and so we just we keep moving I mean it's exhausting it's like it's, it's a million miles an hour but it's uh it's really rewarding and that that breeds more you know inspiration and do you do you personally have a, have a certain morning routine or a daily schedule to maximize your productivity and well-being I did until they shut the screen. <laughs> no, I'm not the. I'm. I'm very great. I'm very disrupted personally. I'm. I'm not a. I'm not a stickler for routine at all. But I. I know. I know where I go to get my kind of ups, and it's music and it's uh, nature. So for me, it's you know, it, as soon as the weather permits, it will be jumping in the river uh, regularly, just getting out, whether it's walking, running, you know. And, and we preach that to the whole team, and we started making everyone share their daily walk pictures on on videos so on, on our team channels to make to encourage people to kind of get out because I think otherwise, especially in the winter, before you know it, it's dark and you haven't had any fresh air. And then my other one is music. I've got good good friends and networks who are sharing playlists, and I've taken to putting on a power tune if I've got a, a before a, a Zoom block just to give me some energy. I think their own, but I think you do need stuff. We all need stuff to keep us going, don't we? Absolutely, but you know, I even find that as you said, kind of back to back zooms, whatever. It's like you're literally glued to the matrix, and you kind of need to appeal. Oh, you do get off screen. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Or even like we found a real like pleasure now in phone calls again. Oh, like normal, yeah, not not video calls. No, because and also then yeah. phone calls whilst walking. That's a that's a thing. <laughs> it's all it's all shaking it up a bit because otherwise life could become really monotonous right now. Absolutely. Well, I was I was reading something quite interesting in terms of like how social media is going to shift back again. So like you know the days when MSN Messenger and things were popular. You know now we're seeing kind of the rise of Discord servers and stuff like that. Like the real community is like you know conversation, right? So I think yeah. um, it'd be interesting to see you know, moving away from likes and follows to actually actually building tangible relationships. Um, Definitely. Oh, I love the thought of going backward. I'm a big fan of slowing it down. I'm my first piece of excited. I'm so old. I, we, you know, I remember not having a mobile phone, but I do remember getting a pager when I worked in politics. And that was the most exciting thing in the world. <laughs> Your pager would buzz and you didn't know why. And you just had to call the number and see who it was. So it was so exciting. <laughs> the rush to the nearest phone. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Rush to a payphone or find, it, find an office landline. What are you curious about right now? I am curious about how this year is going to pan out along the lines of that um, piece we were just talking about. Like, is this going to stick? Everyone is nicer. You know, everyone, even though we're, you know, stressed and many people are having really great difficulties with the pandemic. So I, I don't want to undermine that. But above that sits this thought for sure that, um, that we have moved into a different place in our minds uh, uh, and, and with each other. And I'm very curious as to see if that can, if that can hold. And I'm, and I'm very keen on like doing what I can to make it above and beyond all the specific campaigns and projects I'm working on, even on a really deeply personal level, like within my street, I'm very curious as to how long this kind of really nice, you know, yeah. way of being with each other can last. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And when succession three will come on as well yes yeah that's very good <laughs> i love it <laughs> very good and it's been postponed and i'm very curious to <laughs> um and lastly what advice would you have for a young person looking to get into the creative industry oh that was so interesting i've got a 13 year old son who is uh keeps saying i think i think i do want to be a graphic designer mommy or on or on another day he'll say i think i would like to be in the film industry 
and part of me thinks oh god it's really hard <laughs> because it's so kind of crowded and who knows but it's equally rewarding so some advice so I would harness the fact that you don't need to go to live in London and get a job in a like big creative agency the pandemic has shown us that I live in Bath outside London and um there's a studio that I work with a lot here who are all ex, you know, London refugees, as it were, but they're so fantastic. And, you know, they're, they're like young and just calm and, you know, take days off to go paddleboarding and they have a really great life. And they probably don't earn as much money as if they, you know, ended up running the studio at Mother, but it's, it's fine. And their work is great. So I would try and like, don't think about the traditional route to market because the world has really shifted. Um, and then I guess the other thing is stay open, stay curious about your media. You know, I at any given point um, might need a editor who's also really good at, you know, animation or a graphic designer who understands, you know, print. Or So just try, try and educate yourself as broadly as possible so that you can be useful to as, as large a client pool as you can. I think that would be my two, uh, my two commentaries. And just read a lot also read the other that's something I'm, I've been struck by in the pandemic in my own reading is the confluence between science and art and how many scientists were artists and how many artists were scientists and I, I feel like you, you don't don't go don't go down a rabbit hole of um only ever reading days and confused in the face or whatever just like keep, you know keep your brain stimulated by all the great other stuff that's out there because it will affect your art I think it'll give you a bit of an edge and make it a bit different absolutely great advice and for anyone that's listening to this, um, how can they get involved or learn more about, you know, uh, supporting the SDG? Global goal. Well, so uh, we're getting into quite a lot of interactive participatory stuff. So just go to globalgoals.org. And in the news section, you know, we ran a thing recently with Wikipedia where we put a call out for um, editors because the global goal, a couple of them had a page of each, but not all of them. So we did Wiki Loves the SDGs and we did sort of a hackathon where everybody got to uh, research in real time. So it's nice. It was like community build, but we ended up with 17 great pages. We are about to start on a series of things, this thing called the Youth Power Hacks, which is a collaboration with uh, Restless Development, uh, a youth org and Unilever. And that is hackathons happening in different countries, taking different goal issues. They're up there, you know, but there's always, there's always stuff up there. And, and then look at the Factivism site on the Factivism part of our site it shows you where to go um, if you care about a certain goal and learn a bit more about it and then work out what you could do. So, yeah, just keep going to globalgoals.org and go into the news sites and then follow us on, I think, I mean, choose your media. I like Instagram, so I think our Insta channel is really good and that keeps you updated about what campaigns we're doing. And so we do these nice activist diaries about, you know, so we get people to make their own little videos and we post them. So, you know, we're pretty open. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for your time, Gail. It's been incredible speaking to you and yeah, super inspiring all the work you're doing and yeah, let's make the world a better place. Thanks. Yay, let's do that. Thanks so much for having me. Enjoy the conversation. Thank you. Bye-bye. Take care. Thanks for listening. I hope this podcast can intrigue, inspire and provide some key tips and tricks for a lot of people. I would really appreciate your help to grow the community. If you know anyone that you think would enjoy this podcast, then please send it their way. And if you can subscribe and leave a review, it would mean so much and it really supports the show. Thank you and see you next week.